over an hour from now as we're here on the fast lane across the Virginia Talk Radio Network. It'll be Virginia welcoming in, however you want to term that, the NC State Wolfpack in the return of quarterback Brennan Armstrong, offensive line coach Garrett Touje, and offensive coordinator Robert Anai of NC State all coming this evening into Charlottesville. There are a myriad of angles to unpack in this matchup and somebody with whom you're very familiar from his time, certainly on the call for plenty of UVA men's lacrosse games, as well as plenty of ACC games, especially now the Friday night package of games on the ESPN family of networks, Paul Carcaterra. We're glad to welcome him back into the fast lane. Paul, a pleasure to speak with you this evening. The revenge angle, it seems to be out there. How prevalent is it for NC State as they head to Virginia this evening? You know, Ed, I think it's it's interesting because throughout the course of a week, the buildup, that's all you hear. Everyone who's talking to Brennan Armstrong, including me, like you, you want to know where his mind is with all of that. So it, it's something that you're thinking about um, game week. But I think, you know, after the first or second drive, it, it's going to be a non-factor. It's going to be a situation where a quarterback is trying to drive his team down into the end zone make some big plays. It's going to be a defense that's trying to stop the opposing quarterback. You know, I think if you had to take an edge here, you have a whole defensive unit that wants to stop their their old quarterback, and then you have the quarterback who's, who's going against the team um, with a lot of friends and, and classmates. He told me this week, you know, there's some guys on the defensive side of the, the ball that he was, was part of their recruiting class at UVA. So I, I think slight edge in terms of emotion, probably a defense because you have – all those guys on the field trying to stop one as opposed to, to one guy. But I think, you know, when, when you look at this game, uh, Brandon Armstrong's reunited with, with Robert and I. Last year, the system was not a great fit for him. And it's, it's no one's fault. It's not Tony Elliott's fault. It's not Brandon Armstrong's fault. Brandon Armstrong didn't pick Virginia where Tony Elliott was the head coach. Tony Elliott didn't pick Brandon Armstrong as his quarterback. That doesn't mean they can't have a tremendous amount of respect for each other. But when you watch him play, the, the fit wasn't there last year. This is a guy, as a quarterback, has more passing yards than any quarterback who's left-handed in ACC football history, over 9,000 yards. So, like, the guy obviously can play, and he's at his best when things break down. And now he's back with his old offensive coordinator who speaks the same language as him, knows how to get the most out of him. Um, so, you know, the angles of revenge are one thing. I, I look at it more – Twofold. I look at it as a, a quarterback who's back with the offensive coordinator who can tap into all of his his potential. And I look at it uh, as a, an NC State defense that is super aggressive that's going to want to bring uh, Virginia in spots to be you know second and long and third and long so their defensive coordinator, Tony Elliott, could bring the house. I mean, those are the two biggest things for me. It's the reuniting of Anai and Brennan Armstrong, and it's Tony Tony Gibson's uh, defense at NC State. We'll get more into the X's and O's uh, with Paul Carcaterra, who's going to be on the sidelines for NC State at Virginia to help kick off the college football slate of games uh, over the upcoming weekend. Uh, you mentioned, though, Brennan Armstrong and just not being a fit for Tony Elliott and his system. And, and it was pretty obvious as well that Robert and I, while his relationship seemed to end kind of frostily, if I'm creating a word there, then please forgive me, uh, at Virginia, um, what level of appreciation Virginia have fans have particularly for Brendan Armstrong and offensive line coach Garrett 2J of 
NC State because they at least gave it a shot at Virginia to see if this thing was a fit for them, and just philosophically it didn't seem to be. I think you have to have a ton of appreciation for Brennan Armstrong. Here's a guy who came into the program, and he played quarterback, not only playing the position, but he played it with a toughness that you don't see all the time. He, he never slid. He fought for every single yard. He put his head down. like He was a bulldozer at times. I also think you need to take into account when a college athlete decides to go to a school and he or she graduates from that institution, they, they made their commitment on their end, and they saw it through. Brendan Armstrong played at UVA. He was there for four years. He graduated from the institution. It's not like he bounced and, and, and went for greener pastures, even when there was a new system and a new coach. He, he tried it out. He did everything you could ask for in a player, and I don't think he owes Virginia anything. Like I said, he graduated from the school. He tried Tony Elliott's new system when they brought in a new coach. What else can you ask for from, from a young man? Yeah, I mean, it's virtually impossible. He gave it a shot. It didn't work. And uh, if anything, maybe Virginia fans have a level of appreciation for him, uh, just given how it's uh, been a challenge offensively in the early going of the Tony Elliott era. And again, that's a topic we'll touch on momentarily. But sticking with the NC State angle for NC State at Virginia with sideline reporter Paul Carcaterra of ESPN, uh, what's your assessment of the mesh between Brennan Armstrong and Robert and I this version, given some of the new things that Robert and I has brought with him to NC State from Syracuse, and the fact that NC State has three games in the books against the two proverbially lesser teams, they've got pretty good victories, but against Notre Dame and that wacky weather-impacted game, it was not nearly as fruitful. I think it's too early to tell. You know they're averaging about 30 points a game. Um, there's some, some good balance in the pass and the rush, you know, passing for over, you know, 225 a game, running for 175 yards a game. So there's balance in the offense, but I, I think it's just too early to tell because, like you said, they, they played two teams that are a little bit lesser in, in terms of the talent, and then they played Notre Dame, which is a top-10 team in the country. Um, obviously didn't have the success there, but I think you're going to learn more about this NC State offense in the coming weeks. I'll also say this. When I spoke to Brennan Armstrong this week, he told me reuniting with Robert and I, 90% of it was probably like riding a bike, right? Like you just picked up on the verbiage, the language of, of the offense, and, and just understanding the little intricacies of, of, of a coordinator, right? Like that was old hat for him. He, he was comfortable and, and ready to go. He said about 10% of it was new because Robert and I did have a new experience last year. When Armstrong was playing for Tony Elliott, Robert and I was up in the carrier dome as you know, Baber's offensive coordinator. So, like anything in life, experiences typically shape uh, shape the future of, of how you do things. So he picked up some things from Syracuse that are new. But in large part, Brennan Armstrong is, is back with a coordinator that, that really knows how to, how to tap into him and, and get him in spots where he can be successful. I mean, when you look at Brennan Armstrong, he's not your prototypical quarterback that's going through, like, the second and third progressions of, of of an offense in terms of passing if things break down he can scramble he can pass on the run he's great outside the pocket he puts his shoulder down so they're going to put him in spots where he uses his instincts he'll be going up against the virginia defense that is not nearly as stingy as they were last year second year with john rudzinski for the virginia cavaliers paul 
how close or how far are the Cavaliers defensively from being able to give themselves a chance to match or at least come close to what they did last year? You know, they're they're having trouble stopping the run. They're they're averaging almost uh, you know two hundred yards a game on the ground against them. So I, I think that's going to be you know something that they have to shore up because when you don't stop the run, you know you you put teams in offensively uh, in, in spots where they have options, right? So I think stopping the run and and, and having having a bell cow um, on the on the defensive side of, of, of the field that can just that, that be that thumper, be that stopper. I think they have a young uh, middle linebacker in Cam Robinson who has a lot of upside. He's a true freshman. I think the future looks bright in terms of like your middle linebacker being that guy who can stop the run, right? But it's a lot to ask of a true freshman. So I think stopping the run is their, is, is their, is their biggest issue right now. Um, in, in terms of, of finding the identity. Because when you stop the run, then you can be a little bit more exotic defensively uh, for Radzinski to, to, to have some options and dial up some pressure. It's the same, the same thing on the other side. I, I look at maybe the biggest factor of this game is Tony Gibson's defense. Because Virginia, as much as they're having trouble stopping the run, they can't run the ball. Virginia's only averaging 68 yards a game on the ground. So Tony Gibson, if they stop the run on first down, and Virginia with an inexperienced quarterback, if it's Tony Musket who's potentially back off of injury or if it's the true freshman, Anthony Calandria, if they're looking at second and long and third and long, Tony Gibson, if you look at him throughout the course of his career as a play caller on the defensive side, defensive coordinator, he dials up pressure. He has exotic looks. Uh, he's a high-energy guy. He is going to send the house. And that's something that's given Virginia problems, notably in the obvious passing situations when it got closer to desperation time at Maryland last week. Paul Carcaterra will be in Charlottesville this Friday evening for NC State at Virginia, and he's grateful enough to give us a moment here in the fast lane to look ahead to that matchup. Paul, um, you mentioned the quarterback situation for Virginia in terms of how they've handled this so far. Do you get a feel like we don't have a real firm grasp on what either of these guys can do under the offense just because there's been a level of flux, not to mention, as you mentioned a moment ago, the challenges for Virginia running the ball and making this more one-dimensional? You know, when you speak to Tony Elliott, he likes his quarterbacks. He just thinks, you know, they need to give those guys a, a better opportunity to be successful. You know, Tony Musket's a guy who has a lot of experience, but he's transferring. He hasn't played at this level. He's been nicked up. So we, we don't really know a ton about him. Um, he's been taking some, uh, you know, some reps in practice this week. We'll see how he goes in terms of uh, game time and if he, if he is cleared to play. Um, but, you know, Anthony Calandria, the true freshman, uh, I was I was impressed with him in spots. I mean, he started he started that game against Maryland. The first two drives, he was six for seven at 108 yards and two touchdowns. After that, the wheels kind of fell off the bus. He had three interceptions, and he's a young guy, he's a true freshman. Tony Elliott said that he thinks if if Anthony Calandria was six three, he's he's about five ten, five eleven, a smaller guy. If he was six three, he thinks everyone would have wanted this guy. A lot of people probably scared in terms of the recruiting um, process with Calandria because of his height. But he's got a really, really strong arm, and he can make plays. So I think, you know, they have to give those guys a chance. I mean, if, if you're running the ball at the level that they are right now, 
what quarterback is going to be successful when you have 68 yards a game on the ground? Because 68 yards on the ground a game screams one thing, third and long. Yeah, and it puts quarterbacks, especially less proven ones, and neither Musket nor Calandria have proven a ton or have that experience at the uh, Power 5 level. It puts a lot of pressure on them. Not much pressure on Paul Carcaterra because he easily delivers great insight as he's doing for us <laughs> now in the fast lane. I hope that cheesy segue was good enough for you, Paul. Um, we cannot resist those. We'll pivot away, though, from the matchup tonight, NC State and Virginia, and look bigger into the ACC right now. How pivotal is Virginia Tech's date at Marshall tomorrow in terms of the Hokies, just from a perception standpoint? They are so banged up right now, and they've struggled to get going offensively themselves. Very similar to Virginia. Struggles running, struggles stopping the run, but somehow if they can get a win at Marshall tomorrow in a 10 o'clock airtime across the Virginia Talk Radio Network, shameless plug for that, they'll be 2-2 and and at least be in the thick of the discussion to still have bowl aspirations. I think it's critical because you look at the ACC this year, you know, Florida State is, is clearly back. Clemson's Clemson and always a, a problem to deal with. You have, you know, North Carolina and, and Drake May and that team. No one wants to play against that quarterback. He might be a, you know, a top two or three pick in the NFL draft. But but then you have the, the next level of, of, of teams that are kind of scary this year. Like Duke looks like a real, legit football team. Uh, Mike Elko has done an incredible job with that team. Obviously, everyone knows about their quarterback. Um, but they're playing real defense, too, and that's his specialty. I mean, he came up the ranks as a defensive coordinator. So now you have Duke in the ACC. And then Syracuse. Syracuse was on the road last week and beat Purdue, and they looked impressive. Syracuse is the only team in the country right now, mind you, they haven't played stiff competition. That's top five offensively and top five defensively numbers-wise. So you have these these tricky teams in the ACC. You have the obvious teams all the time in the Clemsons and you know, Florida State being back. But for a team like Virginia Tech, you need to find a way to, to get these out-of-conference wins because there are no easy games, um, you know, in, in the ACC, not to mention Louisville. Like, Louisville's a, a legit team. They're undefeated right now. We actually have them next week on Friday night against NC State down in Raleigh. So um, for, for a team to look at, you know, the bigger picture and, and strike now is, is the time for a bowl to get the six wins. You have to win these out-of-conference games against a team like Marshall because there's there's not a ton of, of, of gimme wins in the ACC this year. A lot of people are thinking maybe the conference is, is, is down a little bit. I would argue that the, the middle pack of it is, is, is pretty strong. That's a great point about how not only is Florida State back and Clemson still, they've got a lot of talent, but the middle pack seems to be more solidified as how teams like Miami and North Carolina and you know even Duke have performed in some of their non-conference games looking as convincing as ever, and not to mention Louisville and Syracuse. So there's a lot going into that yeah. particular angle, um, and it's true. I mean, you bring that point up as well that does that create a level of I don't know if pressure is there, but maybe anxiety and expectation for fans like those schools like Virginia and Virginia Tech, where if they're not getting it done, they're not pulling themselves up to that level, which seems to be more attainable for the rest of the conference. Of course it's pressure. I mean, you know, do you think, do you think Brent Cry and, and Tony Elliott are getting eight hours of sleep a night? Nope. No, <laughs> that's pressure, right? Their head's probably spinning at night. Yeah, this is a pressure cooker of – of a job. It's a pressure cooker sport. 
there's only so many opportunities. It's not like college basketball where you play 30 games. Like every weekend is is big time, and and, and so much is riding on it, you know. And I and I think it, it's capturing a fan base too, and giving a fan base a belief, right? I mean, look what's going on in Colorado. It's absolute insanity. That's a team that won. One game last year, they bring in a new coach who's about as charismatic as any figure in sports history, and now they've sold out every single game for the rest of the season in Boulder. So you think of you think of the the highs and lows. The, the flip side to that could be at a Virginia or Virginia Tech, where you don't start winning. I mean, if if Virginia loses tonight and they drop to 0-4, what, what's the attendance going to look like at Scott Stadium? Let's be real. Whew, it's not going to be very pretty. They're going to be having to pull out all sorts of specials to try to get fans in the seat. Paul, we made it over 15 minutes without mentioning what's happening in Colorado, but we would be remiss if we didn't ask you, and we'll use this as a great way to wrap up our chat today, and we're thankful for your time, Paul Carcaterra, the social media handles to keep up with Paul's great work uh, when he's not with us in the fast lane, which is most of the time, of course. Coach Prime and the effect that he's had. You mentioned the pressure being increased for immediate results and fans. Do you sense that he would ever be a fit with anybody in the ACC or is the one potential fit Florida State in such a good spot where it's unlikely he will be heading to this conference in the near future at least? Look, I don't I don't want to speak for, for Coach Prime and I don't know where his, his mind is with this, but I also think that he's a, a really loyal guy. And Rick George, their athletic director, went after him and gave him a chance where a lot of other schools and institutions probably didn't believe in him in the way that Rick George did. So I think he's going to build something special in Colorado. I don't think this is like a one- or two-year thing. The amount of recruits and the attention that they are getting. I mean, what recruit would be in Boulder last week and not want to go there? You have the rock on the sideline. Little Wayne brings the team out. Like, if you're an 18-year-old kid and you're a football player, I mean, think about that environment. But what you also have to think about with Deion Sanders is he is a really smart football mind, and he's surrounded himself with outstanding coaches. I mean, he's got national championship coaches on his staff, guys like Sal Sinceri, their linebacker coach. He's been, he's been with Alabama. He's been with, with a lot of big-time programs that have won championships. His offensive coordinator, uh, Sean Lewis, is, a, is an outstanding standing offensive mind. He's the head coach at Kent State. I did one of their games when they were in the MAC championship a few years ago at Ford Field in Detroit. Like, that is a really, really bright offensive mind. He's got guys everywhere. Um, I've always been a Dion fan ever since I was a kid. When Dion went to Colorado in December, I think he was hired December 4th, I was, I was one of the first to get a prime sweatshirt because I loved him when he was on the Atlanta Falcons. I loved how authentic he is. I love that he does things his way. Uh, yeah, a lot of people could think, oh, he's, he's maybe too confident. No, he believes in himself. So I find that captivating. If I was a blue-chip recruit and I had my choice to go anywhere, I want to be around positivity like that. So I would, I would love to play for that guy. Paul, we'll go a step further. If you've got a moment, we'll, we'll ask one follow-up. I promise we're not going to ask any more than this, even if you have great responses, which I know are coming here from you momentarily. You are a lacrosse guy. You also cover college football, so you see different dynamics. Is the Coach Prime way 
the new way of coaching in terms of how to be successful. You need the old school directness and accountability, maybe more so than the, you know, pulling the wool over the eyes or the rope-a-dope tactics that may have been used previously. Kids want to be direct, and Coach Prime does that, but also you've got to give them the freedom to express their personality, especially in an era where they can do it freely on social media and now profit off of it with NIL. I've never seen a program that opens up the door and the curtain to what they're doing daily. I follow all the Colorado social media handles, and they give you a sneak peek every day of what's going on. With that said, you bring up the point, he is old school, and he expects a lot of his players. Um, he gives them the, the, the ability to express themselves as individuals, and you know, Travis Hunter has his own YouTube channel, and you know, he's, he's, you know, giving you a sneak peek of his, of his life and his thoughts all the time. He, he promotes all that stuff, and they're on social media nonstop. But it's, it's not going to be something that's easily replicated. Prime is prime for the reasons that he is, right? Like, he's got years and years of, of equity in the way that he believes and the way that he does things. For someone that isn't like that to try to be like that, it will fail. Like, you have to be authentic to yourself. I think the underlying theme here is it's okay. It's okay to be direct. It's okay to be old school. It's okay to demand so much of your players if you also give them something on the back end. And that's obtainable for a lot of different coaches. It's just the thing that's not obtainable that I'm trying to get at is someone trying to be him because you are not him. Yeah, you can't be somebody you're not, and kids see through that. I think people see through that now more than ever. Someone who is himself for us in the fast lane, we're grateful, of course, Paul Carcaterra. It's that simple. That's his social media handles, or those are his handles, on Twitter and Instagram. He'll be on the sideline, Charlottesville, this evening for NC State at Virginia. Paul, we appreciate your time, as always, today in the fast lane, even though it feels a little weird that we talk with you now as opposed to the spring when we're talking lacrosse. Well, thank you. Always a pleasure, man. Be good, and uh, happy football season. Indeed. Happy football season to you as well, Paul Carcaterra, with us in the fast lane. And, woo, okay. Didn't expect that great insight that we got from Paul, so we are thankful for him sharing that with us today in the fast lane. Uh, the Deion Sanders stuff, Coach Prime, that's a whole different dynamic to unpack. We don't have enough time to do that, obviously. Uh, but we'll try to do that in the next week or two. It's not going away. In the meantime, Fast Lane Ed Lane and Trey Lyle VT on the socials, plus CBS Sports Radio Lynchburg on Facebook. To keep up with all of our games this weekend, we're back Monday, 5 to 6.